Hi, I'm George Tekmachov here with another special Easton Archery Podcast, part of our Archery Legends series. And with me today is Chris Schaff, winner of the 2023 Vegas Shoot. Chris, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, George. You know, Chris, um, we talked earlier before the show, and you had a phrase that I agree with. Vegas is, for a compound shooter... It's the Olympics. You right. know, it's... We don't have that as compound yet, hopefully someday. But, you know, that is our biggest shoot that everybody wants to win. Yeah, Bruce Cull calls it the Super Bowl of archery. But for our international listeners, some of whom know about American football and some who don't, I think what Chris had to say is actually more germane. I really do think for compound today as it stands, this is the pinnacle of our sport. So it's been a long road. It's not the first time you've been in the shoot down at Vegas. Um, but it's the first time you've won. And like I said, it's been a long road. That road started more than a year ago when you started uh, training um, with Brady Ellison, right? Yeah, he was, uh, he actually moved up to Billings, Montana, where I'm from. He got the house done in August, I believe is when we started. Uh, So he's been pushing me, you know, more than anybody ever has. You know, I used to have Tate Morgan and like Paul Tedford. Mm -hmm. That we shot against at both Super- of them are outstanding shooters who've Superior been in the biggest archery, shoot down before yeah. yeah superior archery and billings um but since then paul is no longer shooting that much you know tate's gone to california with Paige, so i didn't have anybody i was there by myself so brady just pushing me moving there you know it's been i think what has helped me with these last big three tournaments that i've won or podiumed at and that includes the uh, Neem European Indoor yeah. as well, which also was a, a big event for you. Yeah. Um, you know, from that standpoint, was that the momentum you think might have led to what you ended up with in uh, in Vegas? You know, I've won Neem before, I think back in 2018 or something like that. Yeah. And I came into Vegas that same year and took second. Right. You know, so I think winning one of the first tournaments out of the gate of the year has, you know, put your confidence to another level and you have confidence in your equipment, your confidence in yourself, and it's just, you're gonna ride those train tracks till it falls off. Let's talk a little bit about what kind of training program you and Brady have implemented from the standpoint of how much you shoot and how often, that sort of thing. Can you talk us through a typical week before, you know, preparation for an event like Vegas? Yeah, uh, well this year, you know, we went from Neem to Lancaster to Vegas, so we didn't practice a whole ton at the house, but before Neem, you know, we shot probably, I want to say five days a week, um, you know, anywhere from six games on a small day to 10, 300 rounds on a big day. Um, but a lot of it was shooting head-to-head matches against Brady. You know, he shoots the the recurve size 10 ring. I shoot the compound size 10 ring. And for the just, WA compound yeah, size 10 ring. Yeah, for the stuff like that. You know, so... I think having that push that I still have to shoot 150s even against him to potentially even be in a shoot-off or win against him. So just the push that he has against the competition we have. What kind of arrow count are we talking about? Say typically. 300, 500. It's a lot for a compound shooter. Yeah. I mean, you know. Brady did say one day, he goes, you know, you are the first compound shooter that has outshot me. On a practice day. In terms of volume. Yep. Yeah. On a practice day. Yeah. And uh, in some cases, <laughs> it might also be true for score. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, 
you got to hand it to Brady being the first guy to shoot a 900 with uh, a recurve bow in Vegas it's a couple hard, of years ago. hard enough to do with a compound. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? A recurve. So when you have a guy like that in your corner and, um, you know, looking out for you, trying to give you tips on dealing with that sort of thing, giving you a pretty rigorous training program, um, mental game, how does that come into play and in your discussions with Brady? We don't really talk a lot about the mental game. You know, I think he knows what he can say to me and what I can say to him to keep us in it. Uh-huh. You know, like last year, two years ago, World Cup Finals in Yankton. Uh, I had him in my coach's box. I just lost the semifinal, was going into the Brownsville match, and I still had that loss on my mind. And I shot, I think, a 28 the first end. And he looks at me and goes, look, you're in this match now. That one's over. Don't worry about it. You're in this one. Win this one. You know, so I think just having him say the right things is, you know, is what, what's helped me. You know, we go back to Lancaster. He's standing behind me. Well, I stood behind him first, and when he went to hit the 12 button, he almost looks right back at me, and I was like, do what you think you need to do. You know, I didn't push him into it, and he did the same exact thing for me later that afternoon. Let's jump ahead to Vegas talk about that a little bit there were 26 men starting that shoot off in Vegas this year um, any one of whom arguably could have won and that's a hundred thousand dollar payday by the time you're done right I mean if we maybe before taxes but yeah you know yep. when you look at it that that can be a life-changing number for a lot of people absolutely you know I mean that's a chunk of change yep um, hopefully you're planning on investing it and all that sort of thing and doing yeah, whatever you want it's going away for a house someday okay so, you know, um, when you look at that opportunity, you also have to look around you at the guys who are shooting against you. Guys like Nico Wiener, the world champion from Austria. Um, guys like uh, Matthias Fullerton, the up-and-coming young kid from Denmark. Um, just so much talent, right? The depth of talent. And, of course, the two-time Vegas champion that you've had to shoot against before, Kyle Douglas. Yep. Um, you know, so people who've been there, done that. Uh, guys like Chris Perkins from Canada, you know, the world previous world champion and Vegas champion. And um, when you look at that totality of people that you're in there with, you've been in this game long enough, ranked top 10 in the world for a while, for quite a while. Uh, I can't imagine that your head is occupied with, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? Because you know what you're doing there. Yeah. I mean, you make it there for a reason. Yeah. You know, the time that you spend behind the bow before the shoot, you know, any any one of the top 50 could win that tournament. Yeah. You know, and it's just the right arrows at the right time. But, yeah, you're there for a reason. You know, you put in the time, you put in the effort. Um, a lot of people, which for me, I don't do this. A lot of people go to Vegas just to make the shoot off. I think that's their whole mental, you know, I did it. I made the shoot off. Do you think that's the wrong approach? Absolutely. Absolutely. I went in there this year with the mindset that I was going to win it. You know, that... Uh, the shoot-off just the being shoot a part of that. being absolutely... But being there's a, a process the to get there. Yep. You know, so the, making the 900, the tournament's not over. And I think a lot of people go in there as, you know, I made the 900, what I do next is it's just a bonus. I did what I wanted to do. Well, I think that's the wrong mindset because you got to go into each tournament to win them. Looking at your world archery career, if I'm counting correctly, you have something on the order of 20 medals that you've acquired in various World Cup and World Championship events. Um, medals at World Championships three times. You've had uh, medals from World Cup Finals twice. 
you've had medals from World Cup stages 15 times over your career. Mm-hmm. How does that prepare you for indoor archery in any way, if it does? You know, I think under the pressure circumstance, it does. Because, you know, the more time you put yourself in a pressure situation, the more things you take and learn from it. Um, you know, even if you lose the first round in a shoot-off, you have to take that as a learning experience. What did I do right? Not what did I do wrong? What did I do right? And what can I keep doing right in these next, you know, shoots that I make the shoot-off? In addition, there's a big difference, I think, psychologically between world archery indoor and Vegas indoor in the qualification rounds, right? Because you've got a much different 10 ring to contend with. Yeah, you can, you know, world archery, you can miss one and still be, you know, good to go. Vegas, if you mess it, you're out. Yeah. Now, the night before Vegas, you had to shoot the indoor archery uh, World Series final. Yep. And um, that was a match that you ended up um, second place, I believe? Third third place, excuse me. Yeah, third place. That process, how did it fit in with your Vegas experience? Is it a distraction from Vegas, or is it a supplement to it from your point of view? No, I think it's, you know, better to make that. You know, you get the... The pressure of the head-to-head matches, you get that your equipment's on going into Sunday of the Vegas shoot. Another proof of Another proof of, especially under pressure. Yeah. You know, because you're shooting head-to-head. And with that small 10 ring. Yeah, head-to-head matches, you know, 15 arrows, you win or you go home kind of deal. Yeah. So having, you know, under the pressure and still shooting good scores is definitely a confidence boost going into Sunday. Chris, you're, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're 30 years old now. Yep, 30. And... That is, for a lot of people, the beginning of the prime of their career, especially in compound, right? Tell me where you want to go from here. What's your, what's your short-term and long-term goal for the upcoming year and beyond that? Um, this year, I want to, you know, make World Championships team. You know, it's a hard process here in the States to be top three in the compound. It is. You know, I want to make that, go to Berlin. I want to win World Championships. You know, I've been close to winning the Indoor World Championships. I think I, I was in a bronze medal match there in Yankton, and then they, you know, got rid of those tournaments. That was the final one, yeah. Yep, I, I, f- I was there for uh, yep. announcing, and I remember you uh, in that match. Yep, and I want to uh, make World Cup finals for sure in Mexico this year. I want, you know, I want to win them all, but for the outdoors, those are the two. And I actually want to win my first World Cup. Never won a stage of an outdoor World Cup, but I've won World Cup finals. Right. So... You know, winning a stage to be locked into World Cup Finals, I think, is you know on the list. Yeah. And obviously, try to bump Mikey off the number one spot, which is going to be a tough feat. Well, it's not easy, <clears throat> but everybody uh, everybody has the same shot. Yep. Right. Yep. <clears throat> but the big elephant in the room is something we talked about earlier, and that is the potential for Olympic compound. What does that mean to you personally? It would be, I think it would mean the world to anybody shooting a compound bow, um, even if it goes indoors or outdoors. You know, some people want it one way where others want it the other way, but I think just having it, it would grow the sport for sure because you get everybody, well, in America here, you know, we have so many people that shoot just hunting styles. You know, we have a lot that shoot 3D and don't really come over into the target scene. I think we'd see everybody do it, and it would be, you know, an awesome feat to make that Olympic team. You know, just uh, a week ago, we had the Korean team here at Easton uh, for a week mm-hmm. and uh, training at the Easton Archery Center just up the road and here in the factory getting their equipment worked on. And 
um, it's clear to me that they are taking this extremely seriously. Your cohort of American compound archers, are they also looking at it the way you are, do you think? Or do some have less of an emphasis on it than others? What's your point of view? I don't think so. You know, I think Korea right now where they hired Rio to be their... Real Wild. To be their national compound head coach. You know, they're looking at taking a step now for the projection of 2028 LA games. Yeah. So they're getting a you know, five-year head start right now, yeah. whereas we haven't even looked into anything like that, I don't think. Do you think we should? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we need to be – we can't go into it as an underdog. You know, it's going to be in L.A. on our home soil. We need to be the dominating team. And I think having, you know, a project that gets those top guys working together as a team to win a team medal or something like that would be – Super beneficial. So how would you like to see something like that structured from your personal point of view? I I don't know. I think we'd have, you know, you'd have to have some sort of, like, top ten in the States or something like that, go shoot for a week somewhere with each other, do some, you know, basic team building. You know, because I don't think there's a few of us that, you know, have worked as a team, but other people haven't even been on a team before. Yeah. You know, so I think having that team structure – and you know, learning what each person likes and doesn't like. How important uh, do you think it is to shoot against international shooters in that process? Oh, I mean, they're going to be the ones that you shoot against at the games or at any other tournament, right? You know, so you gotta. But not every you gotta American, learn to win against them as well as beat the Americans. But not every top American compound shooter or up and coming American compound shooter has the opportunity to make an international team. We only have, I believe, three or four shooters. We're qualified to go to a World Cup every year, mm-hmm. and we only have about that many who can go to a World Championship every year, yep. and so and every other year, I should say. Yep. So the opportunities, arguably, are relatively limited for the vast majority of compound shooters in the U.S. Any advice for people like uh, like that? Well, if if compound gets into the games, it'll probably be indoor. You know, so all the indoor World Cups, like in Nimes, in there was one in Macau a few years back. It was. Um, I think that the you know more American shooters need to show up to those to learn to shoot the 150 matches against the foreigners and against the other you know native or the Americans and just get that kind of get their feet wet. Yeah, in fact, you took second at Macau, if I'm not mistaken. I won Macau. Oh, you won Macau. Yep. That's yep. right. Yeah, you were seated second and yep. you ended up winning. Yep. Um, and that was in 2019. Right, um, right before the pandemic happened. Yeah. There are a lot of other events uh, now on this indoor archery world circuit. Mm-hmm. Also, the Kings of Archery yep. in Netherlands, which kind of sort of kicks off the indoor season. For sure. That, this year was the first year I went to that one. I will definitely be back for years to come. Yeah, they you do know, a good job. They do a good job. And it, like you said, it kicks off the tournament season for indoors. And, you know, it's a good pressure-packed weekend. Bruce Cull also puts on a lot of events that attract international shooters, mm-hmm. things like the Rushmore Rumble, as well as the NFAA Indoor Nationals mm-hmm. and other events besides the Vegas shoot. Yeah. So um, plenty of opportunities there. I, I guess I'm hearing you say take advantage of those opportunities if you're aspiring to be internationally competitive. Yeah, for sure. Chris, I think the next thing people might want to hear about is equipment. So we're going to just take a moment, since we're just sitting here at Easton, yep. um, let's talk about your equipment a little bit. Okay. Um, aluminum arrow shooter, 
Yeah, aluminum for indoors. Now, you've had to switch between 23s and 27s, or are you just shooting 23s? Uh, I switched. Okay. Yeah, 23s, 27s. So 23s for world archery scoring yep. and 27s for Vegas scoring. Yep. Any big changes to your bow setup to make those work? or? Um, actually, nothing. So I use a spot hog swap rest so I can tune my 27s on one rest body. I can take that rest body off. And then I can put the another rest body on for so the So it's a modular things. rest, yep. and it re-zeroes pretty well when you put it back on the bow. Same exact spot. Okay. Yep. Uh, you're shooting a PSC... Dominator Duo. Dominator Duo. That's the new, new shoot-through yep. bow. Yep. And um, so it works well with that particular rest to have everything go back to zero when you put the different rest modules yeah, on. Yeah, never have an issue. I can take it off, put it back on, and hit the same exact spot. And in the case of things like point weight, what are you doing with your arrows there? Uh, on my 27s... I have them cut at 29 and a half, and I'm running 250 grain points. Okay, pretty um, good. My 23, I was, this is actually the first year I shot 23 18s. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because they're really close to the spine of the 27, well, they're closer than anything else in the 27. Yeah. And but still, I feel like my 27s legal. shoot a little bit better than my 23s. So I wanted to go something close there. So 23 18s are cut at 29. To make them a little bit stiffer than my 27s, mm-hmm. or closer to spine, with 225s in the front. What's your tuning philosophy for your indoor setup? Indoor and outdoor is the same. I bear shaft it. Uh, 20 yards bear shaft tune, get that hitting about uh, Vegas 10 line low compared to my flat shaft. Six just, o'clock. Yeah, just to get uh, a little bit knock high coming off the blade rest. So about a centimeter low yep. with a bear shaft. Do you put any weight on the back of the arrow to compensate for the vein I difference? I don't know. Okay. You know, I have, I have some arrows that had wraps on them, and I took the veins off and left the wraps on, but I don't think that's a huge deal for bear shaft tuning. Now, do you use that as a tune check when you show up at a venue and you've traveled and your bow's been run over at the airport by some luggage cart? Do you, <laughs> joking, I know, because we had a, yep. you had an incident, didn't you? Yep. But um, do you use that as a tune check? In other words, um, if you want to make sure everything's working correctly, pull out a bear shaft and, and double check it. At, oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. I always have a bear shaft with me. You know, indoors, outdoors, it doesn't matter. You know, in outdoors, I try to do, you know, really the same thing. You know, at 50 meters, I get an arrow to fly, you know, hit just in the yellow low, you know, because it's so critical without veins on it at that far. But, you know, just a little bit of knock high out of my setups. Well, that leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. You know, as um, we're drawing to the close of the indoor season, not quite there yet. You've got indoor nationals here in Salt Lake City this weekend. You've got, I presume, you're going to NFAA indoor yep. as well. Yep. And um, so you've got at least potentially three more big indoor events. Uh, the NFAA indoor nationals is associated with the final eight for USA archery as well. So mm-hmm. there's two events there. Yep. And then you've got this weekend's event at yep. the Easton Salt Lake Archery Center, which is part of the Indoor Nationals sort of mail match. Yep. But after that, you've got to be starting to think about outdoor, I presume. I'm already thinking about it. So, um, so what's your process? Well, right now I'm thinking I have another bow at home that I want to try for outdoors. You know, I have a really, really low peep sight height, so I have a hard time, like when I go to the Redding shoot, uh, to clear 100 yards. Because of the difference of the eye to your jaw is that what's going on there yeah with the peep just, sight? yeah my peep sight is so low so then you know my scope starts so low on my sight bracket you know so i have a hard time clearing that yeah so i got a bow at home the new shoot down pro this 36 axle axle seven inch brace height and it's you know kind of one of their hybrid speed target bows 
So I'm going to try that a little bit. That one's been around for at least a year, I think, right? It just introduced oh, it in Vegas. Oh, is that a new one? Okay. Yep. Um, but I'm also going to try the same bow that I've been I'm sorry. Shooting. You know, they had one back in the day with, I think, a similar name. Shoot That's down. Yeah, I'm they thinking. did. Yep. Same with the Dominator. They had them back in the day. Um, but I'm going to try the you know Dominator do a 38 as well, yeah. just because I'm so comfortable with that bow. I know how it performs under pressure. Um, I have some X10 set up for that bow already that I shot an indoor game with the other day. I shot 28x300 with it, you know, so I know it shoots at 20 yards. So what are you doing to your X10s to make them work for your compound setup? Because uh, I designed those suckers for recurve, so yeah. I was like hearing about what compound shooters are doing to make them work. I cut three inches off the back. Okay. I'm shooting uh, kind of like Rio yep. and Mikey and yep. some other folks. Yeah, I'm shooting a 350 spine. So you turned them into a pro tour is what you did. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, yeah, 350 spine. Uh, with 120 grain point in them. Okay. Cut. I don't even know what these ones are cut at. They're you know pretty short. What are you doing for veins? I'm shooting indoors. I'm shooting the TAC 375 driver. Outdoors, I'm shooting the two inch TAC driver. Okay, and that's a fairly low profile. Uh, the two inch, no, it's more. Is it higher? You know, it's kind of more of a 3D vein. Okay. But uh, kind of like they a laser-ish kind of. A little shorter thing. than yeah. that. But they make uh, 175 that I don't know if it's got enough surface area to steer it well enough. You know, it's obviously less wind drag with those ones, but I just like the way the two and shoots. So better. you're going to do some experimentation to see which one you like best? Yeah, for sure. Because I know you have no chance to ever shoot in the wind where you live. Yeah, <laughs> never. Man, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, for sure, um, what about, uh, sorry, let me back up. What about uh, things like your aperture? Your, uh, your diopter on your scope, um, anything with your reticle? Are you doing anything different outdoors than you do indoors? This year early, I started off with a 19,000th up pin fiber. Okay. Um, when we got to Neems- so Was that I, drilled in the glass? Nope, that, it's a pin. Okay, so it up. actually comes up. Yep. Uh, when I got to Neems, I had a hard time seeing the color of it, just because I think the lighting in there the was- The lighting in Neems is um, very contrasty, Yeah, right? well, you know, you got the clouds that come in and leave and it gets dark and bright and I was just having a hard time with it, so I went back to just a dot that covers almost a 10 ring on a Vegas target. Okay. And that's what I've always shot before, so I think I'm going to stick with that now. Um, are you target focused or are you focused on your dot, or do you have some target. back and forth? So the you're target, target focused. Yep. So yep. the dot's fuzzy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dot's fuzzy a little bit. Um, I think for outdoors. Same with the pin? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you target focus, the pin goes fuzzy, you just let it appear where you want it. How, how big is your float from your personal point of view? Mm, it'll stay in the tendering for the most time. It dips out the bottom a little bit, but it's it's pretty small float there. When you're acquiring the shot, as you're coming through the shot process, where do your eyes go first? Are you looking where you want to go as you come up, or are you looking down at anything? What? How are you? Looking at what I want to hit. Okay. Right from the beginning. And staying focused on that. Yep, yep, staying okay. focused on the middle. Um, for aperture-wise, I went smaller this year than I ever have. Any clarifier on that? No clarifier. Okay. Um, but outside, when the sun is really bright, it makes it seem smaller than it actually is. Part, so partly because your pupil gets smaller. Yep, so I might bump that aperture up one size, uh -huh. make it a little bit bigger. But, you know, when I do that, I feel like, you know, I have to be more on my game to keep it centered. You know, so you kind of want the smallest one that you can get away with. And so 
forgive me for asking, is it harder to keep a smaller one centered or a bigger one centered from your personal point of view? I think they are. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I would tend to agree. Yeah. The a little less daylight yep. makes it a little easier to know how precise you're being. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then walk us through your release process as you get on it. Um, do you consider yourself a pure back tension guy, or is there some element of command involved? Here? It depends on the situation. Okay. You know, like when I'm. Let's just, start with indoors. Well, indoors and outdoors. Okay. You know, when I'm not nervous, I get it back, and I just—it's you know second nature to me just to sit on the back wall. And it'll eventually fire. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I'm rotating it, but I don't feel myself rotating it. Right. You know, when I get in the wind or under, you know, a lot of pressure, nervous, the longer I hold it, the more that shot breaks down because I'm trying to fight, you know, the shake. Um, so I will actually, you know, feel myself rotating the back tension with my fingers. You know, so and when I you're am, aware that you're doing that, are you really focusing on burning the hole through the target visually or is it? What's happening? Yeah, I mean, you got it's the same shot process besides just making that release fire a little bit faster than it would. You know, I'm not slamming it, you know, back, I'm not punching it like that, but I'm giving it a little bit of help um, more than normal. Sort of a compressed surprise break, as we call it in firearms. Yeah, I mean, if you watch Braden Galantine shoot, he's, you know, pretty much the same way. You know, he'll get back there and you can actually see his fingers moving. Same with Bodie now. Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel like that's the same way that I shoot it when I'm under a lot of pressure. Well, so the same applies outdoors. Yeah. What about the wind? I need to practice more in the wind, for sure. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> um, you know, I get pretty, I lock up a lot in the wind, you know, because I don't want it to fire when it's not in the middle. Are you playing with different timing or is it, are you moving the moon around to change the timing on anything in the wind? Sometimes not a lot, you know, more. More times it down or not, speeding it up? I'll slow it down in the okay. wind just so that way I can be more aggressive with it and okay. not have it, you know, pre-fire kind of deal. Well, it seems to me that um, having talked to a lot of different shooters about that, they all have some of the same things going through their head, you know. I, I think we're all wired a certain way yep. to work a certain way with what we see. I think target focus is useful, you know. A lot of uh, folks... Um, on the recurve side, they'll focus on the pin or they'll focus on the target or they don't know what they're focusing on. Yeah. I think you need to pick something. Yeah, I've, I've tried both ways and I think just having, you know, looking at what you want to hit compared to what you're aiming with has, it helped me out. Sure. You know? And I believe that, um, you know, that's probably true for most people. You know, a lot of uh, recurve folks, they do better with an open ring and no pin at all because of the target focus aspect. You let a fuzzy ring center itself on a round target and works really well with the compound you're kind of taking a similar approach by using the occlusion type ap uh, aperture um, reticle i should say to kind of block the tent because you know where you're at yep. and if you're focused downrange you can you can sort of relax just let that thing float a little bit make it happen yeah and i think you know the bigger the bigger the aperture or the reticle that you can get away with you know i think it's better because it it slows your movement down a little bit. It, it doesn't slow it down, but it yeah. appears to be no, slowing and, down. And the same is true if you have ever shot a red dot firearm, right? A pistol with mm -hmm. a red dot on it. A lot of folks prefer a 6 MOA versus a 2 MOA because the bigger dot makes it appear to float slower. It's yeah. the same it's rate, the same. Yeah. but it gives you the impression that it's not as fast. Yeah. And that's why you'll see a lot of your top uh, USPSA competitors, for example, shooting action pistol they'll shoot the biggest dot they can get their hands on yeah. 
because you know they're they're all about speed and that kind of thing less precise but faster yeah um, in the case of what you're doing uh, you've picked an appropriate size reticle for the precision that you need but it still lets you relax on yep. the target yeah and you're not searching for it all right well Chris what advice do you have for a kid who saw you win in Vegas and wants to try to follow in your footsteps what process do you think they should try to go through to try to do to be that person in 10 years put the work in and believe in yourself you know I didn't think that I would ever win Vegas you know that's the biggest one that I've always wanted in my life and it finally happened and I think just you know I put my time in you know I podium there in the past and was not happy with the result I was happy but you know I wanted to win it so much and yeah I think just put the work in trust yourself and it'll all come together Chris Schaff, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the Easton Podcast today. It's been a real treat being able to talk to you and get the first-hand point of view of what you were able to accomplish, a huge accomplishment. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.